Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. This one is the uh, internet sensation, Remember This Crap, with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good, Andy. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, well let's get this out of the way. So you are on Twitter at at Hugh Cub, H-U-E-C-U-B. There you go. Yep. That's all you need to know. Yeah, well, the... Uh, I mean, the Bears are three and zero. The Cubs are in the playoffs. I mean, salad days. Yeah, and we're all trapped in our houses and have to watch all of it. So why not? We would be anyway. Actually, this part of the whatever restrictions there are, and I live in a, a part of the uh, state where are you region one. They're going to get worse on Saturday. You're re- yeah, you're we're, region one, right? Yes, DeKalb and all that other, right? Because of the damn, uh, they're blaming it on the Wisconsinites. Hmm seeping across the border and making things worse. In my experience, there are a large number of Packer fans out your way. Yes, so I know a lot of them have emigrated down. So Yeah, and they're pretty full of themselves. Yeah, for the but last 30 years, I bet. They're still only tied for first. So, whatever. Mm. <laughs> so that brings us to, if, if somebody doesn't know the conceit of this podcast yet, um, I'm, I'm shocked, but basically we... Uh, Start with a random, it's not completely random, because it usually has to do with the Bears opponent, and uh, then we just go, and then we just see where we end up. And we go all over the place, which is vastly entertaining for everyone. Uh, So this week's opponent is the Colts, and I was trying to think of something from my lifetime that had to do with the Colts, and other than uh, Super Bowl that I've tried to uh, forget. Mm Mm-hmm. I remembered something, and as I am prone to do, I remembered it slightly wrong. So I'll see if you could think of the year. Um, well, if I give one clue, it gives it away. But Okay. Um, I'll just tell the story and then see if you could place when it was. So I was a kid, and I used to play football in the living room with this like uh, kind of stuffed football thing. I've, I've I've been in the living room as an adult and realized there was not a lot of ground to cover. But apparently, as a, as a you know, as a kid, and I thought that was you know productive. Sure. And um, I don't remember what I did. I remember I used to roll out behind the couch a lot and then throw the ball. I couldn't I could not throw it and, and go catch it at the same time. I don't know what I was doing, but I was playing football. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So we had this lamp. That used to be my uh, my great aunt um, Florence's. Nobody ever called her Florence. She was Nanty, uh, much like Mookie Wilson, um, who got his nickname Mookie because his grandmother couldn't say the word milk. His grandmother couldn't. His grandmother. Yes, that's my favorite. One of my favorite Vin Scully anecdotes of all time. How did that become Mookie's name, though? She called milk Mookie. And then apparently, they started calling Mookie Mookie. I don't know. Um, my my mother, as a small child, could not say Auntie. She said Nanty. So, ah. so Florence became Nanty, which was what we ever all we ever call her. Um, she at so some you, point had given us this lamp that used to be a gas lamp. It hung. It was like it wasn't exactly a chandelier. It was, but it hung. <clears throat> and her husband, her my great uncle Andy. Oh, converted it to an electric 
lamp. Sure. And we had it proudly hanging in the corner of the living room, roughly where little quarterback Andy would roll right. out. You Doing know. your Bob Avellini impression. Yes. <laughs> um, I must have, uh, I, I, I think I did the Mitch Trubisky thing where I got flushed out and immediately turned the wrong way through it, <laughs> hit the lamp, <clears throat> broke the lamp. Ooh. Um, was, and it was, I broke it. It was it, it, this, it had these weird crystal things that hung off. I say did, it's still there. Um, but I broke like the top globe, shattered it. Uh, and not completely shattered, but a big hunk of it was shattered. You must have really had a cannon. It wasn't a real football. You said it was like a no, pillowy it's like type a stuffed of a football. football. Yeah, it was like a mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a stuffed animal, but it was a football. Yep. Um, Dad hears the crash. Slowly walks in the living room, see what I broke, sees it, turns around, walks out of the living room. Perfect, perfect adult man reaction to oh shit, the boy's dead. <laughs> um, but my mom was not home. So, uh, the, it, we were going to have to deal with it later. The reason I remember this is the Bears were playing at the Baltimore Colts. Mm-hmm. And so we spent the game with first dad had to unwire the lamp from the ceiling so that he could get the thing to get the globe off of it. He had to take the whole thing off, get the globe off of it. And then we sat there trying to glue globe thing back on um a real father-son moment here. yes mom was off shopping because it was a sunday and she knew that the bears were on right. and she was getting the hell out of the house so we watched the game the bears lost and i remember dreading you know like after a while it, it looked it didn't look great the the pieces were kind of back there were a couple we couldn't find a couple so there's a hole. We turned the lamp when we hung it back up so that that was to the back. And dad basically said, I was dreading mom coming home. And finally he goes, maybe she won't notice. <laughs> Pretty cool. A dad, uh, you know, yeah. can help you cover. So I'm like, so you're not going to tell him? He's like, well, if she, if she even suspects it, I'm giving, I don't you know up. anything. I'm giving you up immediately. <laughs> I said, okay, right. fair enough. It is fair enough. Um, I don't know why, I, I, but for some reason, the two things I remember the most about that day was us turning the lamp to hide the thing, and you know it was kind of facing the corner, and the fact that the Bears were playing the Colts. I don't know why. I remember okay. there was an old Memorial Stadium, and yep, okay, this, this might be a hint. The infield was yep. still. Yeah, you've already figured out what game it was. Uh, yeah, because they didn't play the Colts then. It's right. 1983. Yes. All right. It's early early in the season. I don't know. It was like their second or third game of the year. Uh, and I want to say they lost in overtime, and they lost in overtime the week before to the Saints and and, uh, and Kenny Stabler. Um, and it was Ditka's second season. And yes. um, and so they had a couple for us. So I, I remember that game. It was the last time the Bears played in Baltimore because I think the Colts – took off in the middle of the night following that season. And it would have been just a few weeks before uh, the White Sox and Orioles played on that same field in the 83 ALCS um, because it was Memorial Stadium, and that's why they wouldn't have covered up the infield. And uh, But what I always think about with that game, this is just peak Ditka. Uh, there might be two things. One might be off. But one thing I know for sure, it was their second consecutive. I want to say it was an overtime loss. You can look it up. 
Ditka was so pissed off at something that happened late in that game that he punched the bench and broke his hand. That's exactly right. You remember that. Okay. And I want to say it may have been the same game. Now, this might be off, but you know, this sort of icon. I think Chuck Hills actually posted this out of context somewhere else. It was one of my favorite, you know, Ditka just sort of being belligerent to the media, where some reporter kept calling him Ditkus, Ditkus. <laughs> and so he holds up the uh, his, you know, his thumb and forefinger into the letter zero and goes, Hey, hey, you see this, buddy? This is your IQ. This is your Somehow, IQ, buddy. One I of the felt like that, that may have happened after the Colts game, but it may not have. Yeah, that I can't, but, that I can't yeah. say. You might be able to piece it together the, with enough internet sleuthing, but he definitely broke his hand because uh, he was so pissed off that he punched a bench on the on the sideline. Okay, so I had a very frustrating. Uh, it was yesterday, yesterday afternoon. I had a very frustrating series of me not being able to find things. Two things I was looking for: Jay Johnstone died, <laughs> so I was looking for. I, I have silence. I have two of his three books. I have temporary, temporary insanity. Temporary insanity. I read that. And then what's the other one? The one where it's the, I don't know. It's the blue paperback. He actually wrote three. Okay. Uh, and I have t- I had two of the three. They're, they're two of my favorite uh, sports books of all time. They're he. Th- he tells funny stories and he tells them, or he told, I guess he's dead. Um, he told them very, very well. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to find was <clears throat> McMahon tells the story in, in all of its gory detail about Ditka breaking his hand. Oh. And it's in McMahon. And With I can't, Bob Birdie? Yes. And I can't find e- any of those books. Like around your house or on Amazon? No, around my around my house. I have them right, all. I didn't right. throw any of them away. So I did the thing that after I got done looking, I bought all three um, <laughs> Johnstone books for a total of twelve dollars yesterday. <laughs> and this is how dumb I am. So go eBay is the great place to buy old books. More so than Amazon. Okay. Yes. Um, that makes sense. But I remember thinking, oh, he just died today. Maybe the price will have gone up. Why would oh, I have thought that about Jay Johnstone? Jay Johnstone. Yeah, this is not it's not Norman right. Mailer that died and right. all of a sudden was, everybody runs to pick stuff up. It was Jay Johnstone. It, yeah. His books were in fact there were people who were probably like, Oh thank God I can finally unload this thing for a buck fifty plus Uh huh. Right. Uh, okay, so the thing I misremembered about the game was for some reason I had it in my mind that it was the first game after George Hallis died. Ooh, he died around Halloween. Right. So he died. He died about a month later. Yes. So that was the part I got wrong. And okay. for some reason, you know, it's weird. You picture these things. I pictured the, the, the orange football patch they had, the GHS that they wore before they just moved it permanently to the. Yeah. Okay. And I remember as a kid, having to have it explained to me like five times, why the H was in the middle. Because to me. Because that's what, you know, it was, it was, what did they call that? Like, that's not, is that monogrammed? And they do your, they do your, your main name, your last name in the middle. Then they put your first name on the left and your middle name on the right. So that's why it's GHS instead of That's a proper monogram, I guess. Okay. All right. I didn't know that. I remember dad kept having to explain that to me. Now, why is the H in the middle? And he's like, you know, you're nine. You probably should be able to retain some of this stuff. (laughs) I also broke a lamp with a uh, with a stuffed football with a Nerf. Yeah, not even a Nerf. 
Right. I know the Nerf, I think, I think, honestly, I believe I didn't use the Nerf in the house because I've been told I was going to break something with it. So I found this even more pillow-like thing. Yes, and thought, I know. I have one of those currently. It's like, it's in the Bears colors. It's almost like a vinyl outside, and it's just all, like, cotton balls inside, right? Well, this thing, yeah. the the dog would get a hold of it and take it out in the yard, and it would, sure. I can't imagine what it smelled. It probably had hardened from having crap on it. Um, okay, you were exactly right. The Bears lost in overtime. Do you know... The name of the Colts kicker who made the game-winning kick. This uh, is another great kicker name. Jesus. I mean, I knew very little about the Colts because they were an AFC cellar dweller back then. Part of the reason they moved out of Baltimore. And it was the first time that Bears had played them, and I don't think they'd play them again for a few years. Jesus. I can't even, I can't even hazard a guess. It was Raul Allegre. Oh, I do know that name. Yes, so do I. I couldn't pick Raul out of a lineup. Uh, Yeah, so that was, the game was, it started off as Jim McMahon against Mike Pagel. So was Art, Art, I'm going to make a quick digression here because McMahon was in his second year. You'll recall, 83, of course, was the quarterback draft. 83 was the draft where, of course, Dan Marino went last first round, but you had John Elway, Todd Blackledge, Ken O'Brien. There's probably one more in there that's not uh, maybe Jim Kelly, who went to the USFL. Um, a year before, though, there were two quarterbacks, and one was McMahon that the Bears drafted. The Colts drafted Art Schleister out of Ohio State, who, you know, if you're not familiar with Art Schleister kids, um, there's, you know, plenty, you know, plenty of uh, you know, I guess eyebrow-raising uh, antics. Uh, Schleister was deep into you know, he was deep into uh, gambling, deep into gambling debts when he was still in college. I'm pretty sure that followed him in the NFL. It was kind of a, a break for the Bears, one of the very few that they ended up with the right quarterback there. So it's kind of funny that even early in '80, that McMahon was not squaring off against uh, his draft class colleague Schleister. So Mike Pagel, yes. whose brother was in the Cubs farm system, Carl. By the way, <laughs> the point. There's a pointless fact for yeah. you. Uh, McMahon was 8 of 20 for 89 yards, Oof. got sacked three times, and then was either carried off or, I think, just did Kate lost patience. And Vince Evans came in. Oh. 8 for 16, 153 yards and a touchdown, uh, 200. Oh, okay. And um, he, in the fourth quarter, with the Bears down 16 to 6, uh, Vince Evans threw a... Uh, 57-yard touchdown pass to Willie Galt to make Rookie. it 16-12. Mm-hmm. And now you couldn't go for two in 1983. Nope, so that means not. Bob Thomas missed the extra point. Oh, that's probably where Ditka broke his hand. Probably. Raul kicked oh, a field goal no, to make it 19-12. Rem- but then remember that. Jesus, Vince Evans would have won the game. Yep, Vince Evans scored on an eight-yard run. Bob Thomas made the extra point to tie it. And then Raul kicked a 33-yard field goal in overtime. The Bears lost. So from McMahon's book, what do you remember about how Ditka broke his hand? Do you recall any of it? The only I, thing I remember, re- and somebody will grab the book and go, "Oh, you're completely wrong," was that I, it was. I think I believe McMahon describes Ditka trying to act like he didn't break his hand when he very much knew immediately that he had broken his hand, and how funny they all thought that was. Okay, that's what well, I probably, but probably I remember like that it gives swollen. the whole setup as to what set him off 
And now okay. somebody will pull out the book and go, it wasn't in the McMahon book. Right. But right, I'm, right, right. I'm positive. I mean, that's what I headed for. As soon as I thought of this game, as soon as I looked this game up, I'm like, oh, this is the this is the broken hand game. And it I was. Get the, I, just, I don't know. So when I find my copy of McMahon, we can follow it up. Okay. Yes. Okay. The, the Bears lost the week before. 34-31. Do you remember who they lost to in overtime? Maybe. Well, yeah. The, I remember watching it. My brother yes. just we moved my brother into college and found a rest. My dad and I found a restaurant, and well, it was fr- another frustrating one. It was the Saints and Kenny. I want to say Kenny Stabler was their quarterback still. He was. I might, I might be wrong. He was. All right. Good. And Kenny so. threw a couple of touchdown passes. Uh, uh, he was towards the end of his career. 25-39 for 279, two touchdowns, three picks. Wow. Uh, okay. Russell so Erksleben ben, completed a pass. Was he not a first-round draft pick, Russell Erksleben? He may have been, even though he was a place kicker, I want to say, out of Michigan State. Um, it was a punter. Ray Guy, of course, was also a first-round pick, but Ray Guy had a Hall of Fame career. So not, only, pick. not only was Russell Erksleben a first-round draft pick, he was the 11th pick in the draft. <laughs> wow. Which immediately now makes me want to well, – now we have to look at the 1979 draft and go, who, why were they picking well, a that kicker was the, from Texas? He was a kicker and a punter, so it doubled the value. The Bears, the Bears drafted uh, Dan Hampton that year, and they may have drafted him after, which would just be hysterical. Um, wow. Okay, 11th so pick. the Bears picked Hampton with the fourth pick. And they also had Al Harris. They picked Al they Harris with the ninth Trump. pick. Okay. So then right. Russell go. Okay, so other notables picked bef- early: uh, Phil Simms, seventh to the Giants; Otis Anderson, eighth to the Cardinals. Uh huh. So then the Saints go Galaxy Brain and pick a punter in the first round at, at eleven. And guys picked after him. Uh, two picks later, Kellen Winslow. Wow. I think you probably would have rather had Kellen Winslow. The, the Saints were just um, just year in and year out laughably bad. I think I made a reference to it last week before we played the Falcons that until like 79, the Falcons were probably just as bad, but it continued on for the Saints yeah. um, as accentuated by drafting a punter place kicker with the 11th pick. The um, Marty Lyons went to the Jets at Jets? 14. Eddie Lee Ivory to the Packers. That was a terrible pick. They might as well it was a terrible they pick. They probably went, Marty damn it, Pack. they took our punter. We don't know who to take. We'll <laughs> <laughs> take the guy with three names. Manu Tuiasasopo went uh, 18th to the Seahawks. George Andrews to the Rams. Steve Fuller to the Chiefs. A future bear and uh, Rhodes Scholar. It does get pretty bad after that. But the, the big okay. miss, obviously, is two picks later, Kellen Winslow. Uh, yeah. Game-changing Hall, Hall of Fame tight end. No the uh, Jets picked Marty Lyons and Mark Gastineau in that draft. Wow. You know, the, the Jets were not the laughing stock back then that they would become. They were they were pretty decent, um, I think, for the most part. Oh, so. okay. So people probably want to – I didn't finish the story. So then um, I don't remember how long it took. I, it was weeks. And all of a sudden, Mom, one day, I come home from school, and she's like – Andrew, what happened to the lamp? Play dumb. Play dumb. I don't know. And I was like, what? What is it? It, uh, an icicle fell off the roof and hit me in the eye. And like, okay, no, Ralphie, that's not, it's not going to work. Uh, it did not get in nearly as big of trouble because, um, it, I don't know. She noticed it on her own. I don't know what it was, but here's the, the last part is 
it's a really ugly lamp. It's it, it's not like it's this thing that is of uh, that's going to be handed down for generations. Ed Kitch uh, value. If I'm the one who ends up in the house, it's going away immediately. So I don't feel quite as bad uh, about it as I did as a panicked nine year old uh, after breaking the lamp. It's probably no. just pissed that my pass got broken up. Right. Right. Uh, I was gonna uh, before I clicked ahead to the Colts game or to the uh, Saints game. I was the uh, box score for the Bears has some of my all-time favorite um, pass receivers for the Bears in it. In '83, yes, let me take a stab. A- so Gall was a rookie, and I'm wondering if that late touchdown in Baltimore might have been his first NFL um, touchdown. But um, I will say that they they didn't. I don't think they had McKinnon yet. Did they? They may have. Yeah, McKinnon was a rostered, but probably not getting catches. James Scott had to be gone. I know Ricky Watts was gone because he was one of the guys that Ditka used in his, as an example yeah. when he came to town about uh, you know some of the old guard being too complacent, Noah Jackson being one of the others, where Ditka basically just threw their equipment into the parking lot. <laughs> so Ricky Watts, the speedster out of Tulsa, rookie in 79, pretty sure he was long gone by 83. Um, Emery Moorhead, yes. for Christ's sake. Dennis McKinnon uh, yeah. caught one pass for eight yards. All right. Emery caught two for 50. Wow. A 28-yarder uh, and a 22-yarder. I'm wondering if James Scott was still on the team. Was uh, he in that game? He didn't catch a pass. Okay. He, he was probably gone. Um, Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was, was our good buddy Robin Earl still on the team? <laughs> no. You know, he um, had to be gone. The guy I, I best remembered as the holder. Oh, Brian Bashnagel. Brian Bashnagel caught up. Uh, All right, here, here's, the, here, here's the Brian Bashnagel painful memory then. I have to bring this up because I, it's the first thing I think of when I think of good old number 84 out of Ohio State. 1979, first year I'm, I'm a fan. The Bears squeak into the playoffs, um, partially because they scored so many points against the Cardinals on the, in the last game of the season, thanks in part to the aforementioned Ricky Watts' 80-yard punt return. He was a rookie that year. Uh, and they needed Staubach to pull out one final comeback over the Redskins to get into the playoffs. And so they faced the Eagles. And at some point in that game, it was kind of a close game. I think they lost. I think they ended up losing 27-10, but it was a tight game through like two, three quarters. At one point, Walter Payton broke off. And I may have talked about this last year. If I did, whatever. But Payton broke off what would have been the longest run of his career, longest run from scrimmage in his 84 and a half yards. Oddly enough, he didn't score. Uh, he was tackled like at the two yard line, uh, and he never had a run that long in his career. It was nullified on a bullshit illegal motion, uh, legal procedure penalty on, on poor old Brian Bashnagel. And, and, you know, that's what makes it frustrating. Like, if a guy breaks off an 85 yard run and there's a holding penalty, you can't necessarily get mad or like think that the penalty cost you because the penalty in that case may well have right. been a factor it's, it's in the probably, 85 right. yard it's run. probably why you got to run 85 yards. right there's yeah. no 85 yard run without a holding penalty so to have it called back on a sort of a, a pre-snap yeah. you know bullshit procedure which was really kind of like the ref said he kind of cut towards the line before the ball was snapped uh just a painful memory and, and you know and i don't blame bash nagel because it was a kind of a bullshit call but that's the first thing I think of is uh, the white receiver, good old number 84, Brian Bashnagel. Yeah, kind of forgot about him. Well, there's another great white wide receiver. And oh, Kenny Marjoram. Kenny Marjoram. 
I love Marjoram. The one guy that I got a high five to when he was on top of the bus in the 85 uh, parade. Yeah, I remember uh, Marjoram wore, uh, wore black shoes mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl, right? He, he did. He caught a couple passes yes. in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, he was a good receiver. And what I remember about Bashnagel was uh, he wore eye black. And huh? he either had a mustache all the time or some of the time. But when he did, Always. my brother loved Always. it because it looked like he had a mustache above and below his nose. <laughs> like a, like a groucho marks. Like, get up. He just needed glasses. He just needed horn-rimmed glasses, and he'd be in a cigar. Uh, Jay Saldi made an appearance. Oh, yeah, good number 81, I think, one, tight end. One for 11, yep. Okay. Um, and then Willie had a big day. Wow. Uh, five for 130 with the 57-yarder. Oh, so he, his that might have been his first NFL touchdown. I don't know. I didn't know Galt got off to such a good start in his career. One thing that's puzzling, and when you look at the box score, it doesn't tell you, is that um, Walter Payton rushed three times for four yards. Wow. So what was going on there? And he caught no passes. So he very clearly – he didn't get thrown out again, did he? That was last week. No, that was against Atlanta, Fulton County Must Stadium. Must have got hurt. Which may have – you know, may have been the case, as we all know, famously, Peyton only missed one freaking game in a 13-year career, yes. which is when he insisted really, he should have been able, should have been allowed right. to play. It was just right. It wasn't a true injury. It's a, that's, of course, an astounding fact. So I wonder what was going on uh, in New Orleans for him to only get well, three carries. It was Baltimore. Oh, um, the, you're, you're back to the Baltimore I went back game, because huh? when I when I looked at the box score, I saw Kenny Marjoram and Brian Bashnagel back to back, and went, "Oh, well, oh, there you go." Yeah, the Bears in that game against the Colts, um, well, they rushed 22 times for 103 yards. Actually, more yards than I thought they gained. The Colts could not – the Colts (laughs) ran the ball – holy shit. The Colts ran the ball 50 times for 216 yards and threw 30 times. Holy cow. So that was a time of possession. The Bears ran 58. Time of possession was 37-58. For Baltimore, twenty six fifty three for the Bears. It's uh, lopsided, not, but it's not as bad as you no. would think with one team running eighty goddamn plays. See who oh, ran God. the ball for the. Let's see. It just had no wonder Ditka broke his hand. That just sounds like an awfully frustrating game. I mean, I remember watching it and being feeling frustrated just as a kid. Randy McMillan ran twenty one times for seventy eight yards. I have no idea don't, who that is. Don't I don't even remember him. Curtis Dickey. I don't know who that is either. Vaguely. Lynn's brother, probably. Ran 20 times for 74 yards and caught two passes for 55. They had other immortals like Newton Williams. Nope. uh, Matt Booza. Tracy Porter, probably not the one who uh, went to Harper and um, intercepted, ran an interception back against the Bears and against the uh, Colts. I doubt it. One for the the Colts, one. one against the Colts. Um. Yeah, and then Did he, he he ran one back. Wait, Tracy. No, remember remember Tra- the other the other Tracy Porter in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Okay. And then, sorry. but he's most famous for the one against against Peyton when he was a Saint. <laughs> okay, because that's, that's the one right. that and the oh outside kick are the two plays that turned the game. But then he ended up playing for the Colts. So there were two Tracy Porters for pick. the Colts. Yes, that's right. Maybe okay. he was Tracy Junior. Uh, probably not. Wow, no wonder that team uh, had felt compelled to leave Baltimore at that point. What a sorry franchise. Even sorry that they beat the Bears. But that actually kind of – the Bears that season turned it around and almost made the playoffs. They had a tough late-season loss to Green Bay. Um, 
but they they were they were setting themselves up for that run. So things quickly got better for the Bears. You could say that that was probably the low the actual nadir uh, of the pre-success uh, Ditka Bears when he broke his hand against the Colts. So congratulations, Baltimore. Uh, let's see, guys who had uh, where'd that go? Guys who had interceptions in the game, two for the Bears: Leslie Frazier and Terry Schmidt. Terry Schmidt. Yeah. Wow. And, okay. And um, for the Colts. A guy named Derek Hatchett, but then another great name, Nesby Glasgow. I vaguely remember that yeah, name. I only remember that there was a guy named Nesby Glasgow. I have no idea what he looked like or what he did. And uh, the the specialists in the game also uh, full of great memories. Uh, Bob Thomas missed a field goal and an extra point. Bob Parsons was the punter. Okay. Good old number 86. Uh-huh. Um, then of course Raul Alegre, and then the punter for the Colts, Ron Stark. Do you remember how he spelled I, Ron? R O H N. Yes. Like like Dan Rohn, not the WGN broadcaster, but the brief one-time Cub player in 1984. Right? No, it is the Cub broad. It is the WGN broadcaster. R O H N. The ball player is R O A N, or one of those. Whatever. There were two Dan Rohns. Yes. One Chicago in the early 80s. Furry little blonde. Yes, you remember, you remember that. And then, that uh, and then, uh, WGN's Dan Roan uh, used to have uh, very poofy hair because he had to to make it look like he had hair, and then he finally just had to get. <laughs> um, the the Colts were so bad that I, I recognized I immediately recognized only three players. One was Mike Pagel, only because, like I said, I happen to remember that Carl Pagel was in the Cubs system. That was his brother, I think. And other than that, the only two names that ring a bell are their, their place kicker and their punter. So. <laughs> so you're right. The Bears started two and five, and then uh, won a game, but then lost two more. So they actually started three and seven. They finished then, eight, I think. Then they beat the Eagles seventeen fourteen, shot out the Bucks twenty seven to nothing, lost to, lost at home to the Niners thirteen to three. No, okay. sorry, beat the, beat Niners, the Niners. Beat the Niners at home thirteen to three. Lost at the Packers twenty eight thirty one. All right, this is where I have to tell you an embarrassing family story that cracks my dad up today. Um, my dad's old school, of course, and we're watching games, and you can be kind of superstitious, right? You know, you leave the room when something's going on, you can't come back in the room, right? This is back in the day. You also have to watch what you say before the game's over, okay? So in that Bears-Packers game, and you can look at the box score, and we can rehash this when the Bears play the Packers, <laughs> but uh, – there was a point in that game where the Bears had that game won, and they're headed towards the playoffs. And if the Packers were going to lose, Bart Starr was going to lose his job. So my mom, who was not a diehard fan, she was you know, born in Ireland um, and, you know, raised her family in the suburbs of Chicago. But, you know, through osmosis and just being around, you know, she didn't discourage it. She she knew a lot of the players through the years. And, of course, she remembered Bart Starr as the Packers quarterback. And my dad did not hate the Packers in the 60s. You know, um, he, he admired them. They were a great team, great coach, and, and you know, didn't really have the, the vitriol that we have towards them now. So generally a favorable view of Bart Starr. Uh, so in this game – when the Bears had Green, they had Green Bay down in that game, and my mom, she had the nerve to express that she felt sorry for Bart Starr. <laughs> 
probably the closest my parents may have come to getting divorced because of course the Packers rally back. My dad's shooting the hairy eyeball across the room, my mom, and like, just don't say anything. You know, this game was over and you had to feel sorry for Bart Starr and the Packers come back. Starr still got fired after the season because the Bears got their revenge in week uh, in week 16 uh, in a meaningless game for them, but they knocked Green Bay out. But, um, yeah, I don't know what the details of that Packers game was. Just the Bears may have had it in hand. And then my mom had to express her, uh, you know, her, her sympathy for the opposing coach before the game was over. And all hell broke loose in the house. So, the so. yeah, the Bears lose that game. Uh, they're 6-8, and eight, but then they go to Minnesota and beat the Vikings, and then they – then they come home to play the Packers, and they beat mm-hmm. them 23-21 to go 8-8. Eight and eight. And then they were good yeah. for yeah. a long time. So you're right. Well, it does, actually, it looks like the nadir was probably they get – it had to be losing tw- – they lost in three weeks. They lost to the Lions twice, 31-17. But the Lions were good. 38-17. But right, that, but the Lions were good that year. The Lions were were like an Eddie Ed Mur- sorry, not Eddie Ed Murray uh, field goal from advancing to the NFC title game that year. Yeah, nine um, seven and zero. Monty Clark was their coach. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah they, they still they Billy, lost, Billy Sims lost twenty four twenty three to the Niners in the, the oh first round. so so Murray's kick would have won the game. Wow. Uh, yeah, the Lions were in, a, in that brief period of time were actually pretty good for a couple years because Billy Sims really yeah. ran wild. He was a rookie, I want to say, in 1980. Uh, Dexter Bussey was also in that backfield. I, you know, uh, Hipple Daniels. I, I don't know. Bubba Baker was a decent player. The Lions were actually it was a brief period in time where it wasn't a shock. It wasn't like a you know a stunning disappointment that the Bears lost to them. They were probably underdogs in both of those games. So what I remember about the, that era, Lions, was in um, 1982. The strike here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Hilgenberg, famous that the um, the Bears are getting it handed to them by the Lions. Jay Hilgenberg tells somebody on the sidelines, "We're the worst team in football, and I don't play. I'm the worst player in the <laughs> NFL." <laughs> you can't. You can barely. You can You really can't argue with his logic. <laughs> I'm the worst player in the NFL. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, that may have been the first game of the Ditka era. I know his first game was in Detroit in '82, and they lost. They, you know, they went three and six, and then they, he turned it around. Though, you know, I take a lot of shots at Ditka mostly because of uh, the post Super Bowl when everyone was kind of getting fat at the trough. Yeah. But he was he was he was the perfect coach for that that team. Eventually, especially after the '83 draft, was by the time '84 '85 rolled around, they were loaded with talent. They just needed some maniac uh, to yell at them. Yeah, and, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the um, a lot of the what ifs. There's two big what ifs with Ditka. The what ifs are um, what if, although they would have killed each other. What if Buddy had never left and just continued to run the defense? But more, what if um, Jim Finks? had stuck around to continue to, um, mm-hmm. you know, stock the roster, keep giving Ditka more enough talent that he couldn't uh, screw it up. Yeah. Because or, you're right. It's, he, it's, un, it's undisputed that he came into a, you know, a dead ass organization 100%. and basically willed them to competence and then um, just let them get good. 
Yeah, and I mean, then, he came into then his... probably started meddling. <laughs> well, too much. The, yeah, I don't even know if he was meddling. I just think that they lost their focus, and he was first and foremost yeah, on the gravy train. Part of it. The whole yeah, how how can a coach yell at players for you know doing too much extracurricular shit when right. he's in every commercial? He was branding his name like big time. Yeah, but he, when he showed up, I mean, look, they had a Hall of Fame runner, but he was already Peyton was already a Hall of Famer. They had a promising quarterback. They had, you know, they had Hampton, they had Singletary, they had Otis Wilson. I mean, that team had talent. Yeah. They just, you know, they didn't really have any leadership. And, they, and Ditka did provide that. So yeah. I will give him credit for – he did turn it around, no doubt, and he gets a lot of credit for that. It's just, yeah, after the Super Bowl, things got complacent. He was not the right guy. And and you pointed out, too, a couple of weeks ago, that really was a, an insanely competitive NFC back yeah, then. The that more, was the, the, the more I've thought about that since you brought that up, the more obvious it is that that was a historically great run. Yeah, I can't NFC. imagine that there's ever been there's ever been that many good teams in one conference in NFL at one time. I mean, it's and they were teams that, that weren't just like good for a couple of years, right? They were teams that were good for a decade, all at the same right. time, like, right? You know, it was. The sixties, the sixties Packers didn't have to deal with that shit. The the modern era Patriots didn't have to deal. Right, you can argue that the Bears actually had the greatest single individual season of all those teams. They just didn't really, you know, sustain it. I mean, until his last day in the booth, whenever the whenever they did a Bear game, Madden always started to wax poetic about the Bears because it was the most fun he'd ever had announcing a team's games, and he couldn't he he could not overstate just how dominant they were. And I think part of it was he couldn't believe that they really, that that was it, that they only won the once. That's so why I think you probably Ditka deserves full credit for them winning one Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And he probably can also say he deserves full credit for them only winning one Super Bowl. Yep. So, but your point about Finks is good too, because Dick and not in his defense. And again, he, you know, he had plenty of flaws, uh, but he never really had a quarterback. And I don't know why, you know, I mean, they drafted Harbaugh in 87, but like, otherwise Tom Zach was off the scrap heap. He was a free agent rookie, you know, they didn't, uh, I mean, you'd think that might be, you know, they might have a backup plan considering what a, you know, walking injury cart McMahon was, but you know, say la vie. Okay, so this part won't be as fun as it was for the other teams we've done. Uh, although yeah, it there's, is, not whole, there's not a whole lot of history, I guess. I mean, outside of the significance of a Super Bowl. Yeah. But there aren't a whole lot of memorable games between these two teams. You know, they go back 70 years. So I, well, I don't want to tip my hand, but I will say that when I, when I pulled up the Colts' all-time leaders, I had to mm. look to make sure it went back as far as it should have. Mm. So, like... I mean, it's very obvious who their all-time passing leader is. Well, I'm guessing their one and two are both higher than the Bears. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm, I don't think Cutler would have run down Unitas either, right? Uh, how do we look that up? But Peyton, I mean, clearly. Peyton is easily one, 54,000. Yeah. Although, as we found out last week, Matt Ryan, hot yep. on Peyton Manning's ass. He is. He's only 3,000 yards behind him, which is just astounding to me. That can uh, theoretically happen this season. So, so he, so Peyton's their all-time leading passer. Who do you think their all-time leading rusher is? Uh, let's see. This one surprised me. <laughs> I, f- I feel like blurting out the answer from Barry Levinson's diner. I said Alan Amici. <laughs> or maybe I got the line wrong. Eric Dickerson was a cult briefly, but I don't think he really – I think his career kind of flamed out. Um, you got Edger and James that really was a, was a 
you know, kind of a bright shining star for a few years, but might not have been there long enough. Um, I'm going to actually go with um, uh, Marshall Falk. It is. It's Edger and James by a lot. Okay, um, so Falk was gone. Falk wasn't around long enough because Edge was only there from '99 to 2005, but he ran for um, for nine ninety two hundred yards. He was a beast. Yeah, and they so, got rid of Falk for him. Right? Falk, is, Falk is third on their list, and he was only there so five seasons, and he ran for fifty three hundred yards in five seasons. They don't have his receiving on this thing, but he also caught a shitload of passes for a bunch of yards I, too. I need to guess who's number two then. Is it recent? It is not recent. Is it a white guy from the fifties? Is no. it Alan Amici or it's a Gino black guy from Marchetti? the seventies? Uh, I don't know the Burt Jones era cult. It's kind of before my time. AFC, um, uh, Lindale. No, I don't know. Yep. Ooh, Lindale, right? Is Lindale White or something? Lydell Mitchell. Lydell Mitchell. That from Penn State. And then Dickerson is fourth. And he was only there part of 87 through 91. Yep. When, that, when we were... He got traded on Halloween, right? Because they handed out Eric Dickerson masks in the Dome and they were Monday Night Football. I don't remember that. It's a good that memory. That was his debut. Well, it, it was an interesting season because for you and me, Andy, from our earliest memory, you know, uh, active memories, the Colts were until, um, you know, really until the, the late night, really until Manning. I know Harbaugh took him to a fluky championship game in 95, but our whole lives until Manning, uh, the Colts were dreadful, right? Yeah. They were kind of what, how we see the, the Browns or the Lions. Today. Um, but they had that season in 87, right? Where they traded the rights to Jim Everett. Was it somehow it was like a three-way trade. Gary Hogaboom was involved <laughs> somewhere along the way. And they went to the playoffs that year, but it was like an anomaly. Like they were terrible, terrible. And then they make the playoffs and then they're terrible for another 10 years. Because they did make the playoffs, I'm pretty sure, in 87. Okay, so passing leaders, uh, Peyton by a lot, and then it is Johnny Yu. Um, How many yards? Almost 40,000, 39,768. He played okay. from, he played 16 seasons. And then, this I, I, it's probably not that surprising, Andrew Luck was their third all-time leading passer. Okay, okay. 23,000 yards. Then you get to Burt Jones... Then it gets really good. You get to Burt Jones, you get to Illini greats, Jack Trudeau and Jeff George, uh-huh. then Jim Harbaugh, and then Mike Pagel. Wow. Kobe Brissett <laughs> is in the top 10. But that is a, that's as much a function of having in your 60 years of existence um, Peyton Manning for 13 years and Johnny Yu for 16. They eat yeah. a lot of your stats and so other guys. Greg Landry's on the list. Gary Hogaboom is on the list. 40,000 for Unitas. That's I know he played 16 years. Blair Keel is the 32nd. Uh, oh, former former Notre Damer. Rest uh, in peace, 400, by the way. 431 yards gets you 32nd on that list. Wow. Mark Rippon is on there. He threw for 57 yards um, Mark, for them. Mark Rippon, one of the otherwise three nondescript quarterbacks that Joe Gibbs took his, to a Super his Bowl His son is now quarterbacking the uh, Broncos. I had no idea. Yeah. Really? He went to Washington State, and now that they're running out of quarterbacks, uh, he gets to play. The all-time leading receiver. In uh, it's got to be Marvin. Yes, you know, and he also all-time leader in guys killed at car wash. <laughs> allegedly, I have to say, I don't want Marvin suing me. Uh, allegedly, 
Although has he like gone after? A, it seems like there's an has, awful lot of evidence there, Marvin. he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really, think he has. Really, I think he just. I think he just disappeared. Really, kind of a shock because he was a rather understated. He was not a very demonstrative. You know, receivers generally tend to. And this is a generalization, but I think it's true. Receivers tend to be more demonstrative. Running backs tend to be more right. Give the ball back to the yeah. ref. Um, with the one exception, of course, being the 1994 um, 49ers, where Ricky Waters was quite the hothead, but Jerry Rice was very gentlemanly. Um, but Harrison was kind of spun that stereotype on its head when he was a player because he was not a flamboyant, trash-talking receiver. But then after he retired, it was like, whoa, <laughs> still waters run deep. Your story? No. Sorry. All right, you'll drop it in. So, yeah, the Colts, not, not a whole lot there. And I don't think uh, we want to do any uh, – spend any time rehashing that Super Bowl. We've already talked about Jeff Saturday pushing Tink Johnson backwards. I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. I honestly – I don't remember shit about that Super Bowl. Um, you, were, you were drinking heavily no. too? Nice. It's it's what I do. Now, you know, obviously, I remember Devin, and um, I remember uh, – Rex's little hands getting wet and the ball squirting around. And I remember yep. Moussin Muhammad not bothering to chase a Colt after an interception. That pissed me off. But otherwise, uh, backs, they lost and, fumbled. and it's not like I yeah, I know Dominic Rhodes ran all over the goddamn Bears. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know what happened because I watched it. But it's not one of those things that I ever cared to like revisit. Like yeah. waste the mental thing to go over it again. So if there's somebody, like if, if I was on Jeopardy and they were like you know, Super Bowl 41, I'd be like, oh, yeah. shit. I can get the Devin right. Hester question right. Well, I know who won, but I'd, I'd, lots of shit happened in that game that I won't remember. My, my brother got to go to that game, and only because a friend of his had season tickets, but his friend had these season tickets that were not in his name. They were like in an, like, it wasn't even like an aunt. It was like an elderly woman that was a friend of the family's, <laughs> and so my, my brother's body was... A, buying the tickets off of her, off of her. And so she won the lottery. You know, they had her enter and she won the lottery. And, uh, but the bear, all right. But the Bears said that, um, they had to pick up their tickets in Florida oh. at the venue and the season ticket holder had to do it. And what my brother and his buddy did was they flew this woman all the way down to Florida just so she could claim the tickets and then give them to my brother's buddy and him. They went through like extraordinary. It was just ridiculous how the McCaskey family went about that, you know, because they they were trying to, of course, uh, pull back as many tickets as they could, right? So they make it make it made it as hard as possible. But the circumstances were such that um, that th- for some reason I forget why, like she wasn't able to pick them up in Lake Forest or something like that. She wasn't in Chicago, but they wouldn't they wouldn't act reasonably. So they, I just remember how insane it was that they flew her. Oh. Like couldn't, the weekend of the Super Bowl, couldn't just they the have tickets. just? Couldn't they have just Mrs. Doubt fired it? <laughs> right. Yeah, in retrospect, you might need a driver's Woo. license, but I'm sure they could have worked that out. Oh, that's easy. But in that, Florida, getting a fake driver's license—that's no problem. Right. You can do that. But on, I, like, I go to a rest stop and get one. I think. The thing is, it would have been worth it, obviously, had they won. But then the thing is, not only did they not yeah. win, but that's like the only Super Bowl where it rained, and it like yeah. rained the whole game. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, you know, glad that wasn't me. Felt bad for my brother, but you know, at least at least he was there, even though it was a, a disappointment. All right, so, so you want to tell Gail Sears' story? I, I'm going to apologize to the estate of Gail Sears. 
uh, for not being able to help myself for my (laughs) tweet. Because I did like Gale a lot. I mean, obviously, I didn't ever see him play, but his some of the best NFL films things ever are him Uh because he was amazing. But yeah, I, I did feel the need when he died to tweet, "Give me six feet of dirt." That's all. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just seemed well, like and it's funny. He's not getting any deader. You know, it's, you I wait a week. No, no, the joke's yeah, not as funny, and I've just wasted it. So. No, you got you got you got to let that one rip. Yeah, you got to shoot know, shot. If people get upset about, and it's funny you mentioned his highlights because I think you and I both grew up just absolutely in love with all those highlights with yeah. Dick Butkus, who of course is drafted the same time. But I, you know, I was at my dad's house, and this is going to lead to my quick story, but. Now, my dad has an iPad, but he off, he's 87. He's, you know, he, he's got all his marbles, but technology can be a bit, you know, uh, a little bit more of a challenge. But I was able to pull up on YouTube, and I'd never seen this. There was like, and this had a bit been produced in the late, in the early to mid-70s, but there was like a 14-minute, just the highlight reel of Sayers. And, and some of it, a couple, I noticed a couple of them were duplicates. Uh, but still, you know, I just, I, I, I fired that up on my dad's iPad for him and he was delighted, of course. And it was pretty damn impressive. As, as, as awesome as it was to watch those Butkus videos with, you know, John Facenda's voice and the, the orchestral music playing in the background and just watching Butkus annihilate people. Watching Sayers was almost a similar experience. Some of the, just the way he would cut just the moves he would make, just faking guys out of their jock straps. But here's the story. Um, so, my, you know, my dad, he still has season tickets in his name. And I, we talked about this last year. They they actually brought him out onto the field, Soldier yep. Field, with other longtime season ticket holders, although he had them beat because he's had his tickets since either 57 or 58. And, of course, he went to every single game. You know, he's from the old school. At first he was single, and then even when he was married, he had little kids. And it was all the way up until, like, the late 70s where, he, you know, he stopped going to every game. But, you know, basically, in effect, he would have seen every single one of Gale Sayers and Butkus's uh, home games um, at Wrigley Field and even in Soldier Field because th- – they were part of that transition. So, of course, he was there for the six-touchdown game as a rookie. He was also there a couple years later against the same team, the 49ers, when Kermit Alexander tore up his knee. Uh, then he, he was telling me about this play, and I found it on Football Reference, uh, which is something I like to do. My dad still got a pretty good memory of, of archaic things that happened uh, years ago, and I can track it down next to Baseball Reference or Football Reference. Uh, and this one was actually in the Wikipedia entry for Alan Page, which is interesting. What happened was Sayers came back from that first knee injury and led the league in rushing in 69, but he was not the same. And he only played, I think, in four more games, two in 70 and two in 71. And in 70, he got hurt in preseason. This is this is just me reading the backstory. But this was my dad's memory, uh, and it was backed up. He comes back in the third game against – or the fourth – I think it was the fourth game against the Vikings. And um, in that game, somebody fumbled the ball. And Alan Page, who, of course, was a great, great player, only one of two defensive players who have ever won the league MVP, Lawrence Taylor being the other one. And my dad, of course, knew Alan Page because he was a Notre Dame fan. Uh, being a Chicago Catholic, that's who you root for. And Page was a great collegiate player, and he was one of the greatest you know, NFL linemen. And he was a great athlete, but he was still a big – kind of a lumbering guy and but the, the 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 lasting image that my dad had and it was very almost kind of like watching willie mays in the 73 world series was page picks up the ball like around the 30 35 yard line and you know runs down the field and sayers was going after him and sayers just could not he was hobbling he yeah. couldn't even catch alan page and it was like right there it was kind of obvious to everyone at wrigley field yeah. like i guess he's done so 
but it's funny that that was actually described in Alan Page's Wikipedia entry. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, everyone talks about some of the things that he did in the six touchdowns. Um, uh, it, it's more of a kind of a, just a poignant tale, uh, kind of bittersweet to see, you know, poor, poor Gale, who nobody could outrun just four years earlier, couldn't even track down a six foot six lineman. So that's it. So I, I'd like to think I'm the first person that thought of this, but I'm sure somebody else has. You know, the Bears famously took two Hall of Famers in the first round of that draft. They took Sayers and Butkus. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, we obviously weren't around to, to watch it, but when you watch the highlights of it, it felt like, especially with Sayers, but it's also applied to Butkus, that, that they came with a time machine. Like, Sayers came back from 50 years in the future to play because he played running back like nobody else played at the time. I mean, nobody, nobody. And that's why he was, you know, just so amazing. And you could probably argue that, that Butkus took a time machine from 50 yards from 50 years in the past where he was still <laughs> just grabbing everybody by the head and slamming them into the ground. And, um, you know, there, no team will ever draft better players in the first round and in the same round ever again. But also I, I can't imagine that they'll ever draft guys that were just more fun because, you know, but and, and both of them, obviously, if if they had played today with modern science, they both have really long, really productive careers. Actually, Butkus was just a damn tough that he just kept playing with his terrible knees. Well, it, they weren't helped by the fact that they had a that Hallis employed a, a, yes. a butcher, right. Doctor Doctor Fox. Um, although uh, that would have been irrelevant for Sayers if we just had the benefit of modern sports science, yep. because I think he would have just had a quick surgery, been back within a year, and been the same. Well, he I was mean, never the same. Yeah, I mean, think about it. So when he got hurt, everybody knew that you didn't come back from injuries like that. And the fact that he did come back and, and change his style of rush for a thousand yards is like legendary. But think about it just two weeks ago, Saquon Barkley tears his ACL. Yep. And everybody's like, well, he'll be back next year. It'll be fine. Right. I mean, that's where we've, I'm sure I would gear, I would guess it's the same injury. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know it, how, you know, I, I don't know the, the specifics of either, but on, on its face, it's the same injury. And I think so. now it's like, it, well, this sucks. He's gonna he's gonna miss the rest of the season. He'll be fine. That was not the case in the sixties. No, it was like his career's over. Yeah. And so the fact that he came back was pretty neat, but it, it was you know the bloom was off the rose though. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't cutting like he did. Okay, so uh, because the uh, when most people hear this, it will be the day of game one of the Cubs and Marlins. And no, this is not. And we're not in a time machine back from two thousand three. Thank God. I, I can handle it now. Um, so can I show the Bartman shit? I don't care. I have I don't care. my house is full of world champion merchandise because right. I bought anything they would put the logo on. So I don't give a shit. You can show it all you right. want. That's um, fine. Yeah, it won't was, bother me. Oh, look, the last time the Marlins were good. It How shouldn't fun bother. It shouldn't bother any. Yeah, I mean that's really a sorry ass franchise. They've never lost a playoff series uh, until now. They, they haven't. Right. Give no, them till it, it, give them till Thursday. Hope so. Um. Okay, so, but today um, the Cubs announced that Cal Hendricks is going to start game one. Um, which I guess it doesn't really matter when you've got Kyle Hendricks and you Darvish and you need to win two games. You can start them in any eight. order you want. That's fine, mm-hmm. whatever. But it, it made me think um, can I name the game one starter in every series since 1984? I totally can. And I was like, oh, of course I can. And I got stuck in a spot that I. So we'll see if you get stuck in the same spot. So okay. people can play along at home. All right. Actually, we should go back to like we should go back to 07 and 08. 
Oh, uh, we'll do that. We can do that. So I, I'm pretty sure I can nail this. Al Spalding and Mordecai Brown. <laughs> Claude Passeau and Dizzy <laughs> Trout. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're, we will start in the modern era. Yes, 84. And so 84 is a, is a slam dunk. Sutcliffe and Eric Shaw. Eighty-nine, uh, Maddox and Scott Gerelts. Yeah, and that's of course is most famous for the. Um, it, it is the it's the start that at least apocryphally started the whole. Every Put every pitcher glove. holds yep. a glove up over their face because yep. he said, "What did he say? Fastball in." Uh, whatever it was, and Will Clark, Clark saw Will Clark it, and Will Clark hit it a thousand feet. Yeah, hit a grand slam, put the game out of reach. Yes. Okay, and then, so they, and then and then they go the longest period of time in our lifetime without a playoff appearance from 89 to 98. That is actually the longest stretch. It was nine years. Glory days. And in 98, it would have been Mark Clark, <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess Mark, uh, John Smoltz uh, may have the guy. That's a good idea. I didn't write down the uh, uh, the opponent. I only wrote down the Cubs. Okay, I think it was Smoltz because I know Glavin was game two and Maddox was game three, so it had to have been Smoltz. Yeah, so it, it, it was Mark Clark because – um, well, everybody was gassed. Yes, and because like, they had, they had Car- no bullpen. Kerry Wood they, was hurt and should not have pitched game three pitched at all. That was right. criminal. Kerry um, Moholland was pitching every other day out of the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, Traxel pitched uh, had to the, pitch the, the, game one sixty three. That's right. So the only guy left standing was Mark Clark. Mark Clark, right? And then I remember uh, Kevin Tappany pitched game two, and he had a one nothing lead going into the ninth inning until. until- and Javi Lopez did a one-out homer. No, it's Javi Lopez. Oh, that's right. I was going to say Chipper Jones, only because I wanted to say it like Sean Dustin says. It. Scott Jones. Scott Service would have been the unlikely hero as he had the only RBI in the game off of yeah. Tom Glavin earlier. So, yeah. As much as people dump on the 98 Cubs, they were that close to not in that series up. Yeah, they were. And that was um, – they weren't good. It was, it was a fun season. Good, but that but season not was so much fun. Incredibly yeah. fun with Wood and Sosa. My gosh, that's one of the few Cub seasons that ended. Um, yeah, they well, yeah, one of the few. It's the only Cub season probably that ended with the playoffs, and you, they lost. And you went, eh, eh, whatever. You, you weren't heartbroken, right? Yeah, you'd already had a summer full of ridiculousness. You were probably it was, fun. and I was twenty six. It was like my third summer living in Chicago. I probably went to twenty five games that year. It was just hitting like eight of Kerry Wood starts. When he, he won like seven of them. It was great. Okay, so then we go ahead to 2003 against the Barves. Game one would have been uh, Kerry Wood against, uh, what's that guy, uh, Russ Ortiz, I want to say. So then they advance and get the get the Marlins. Oh, the next series. Game one was Zambrano, who yep. just wasn't, he was too amped up, and he gave up like four, the Cubs jumped out to a big lead, yes. and then Zambrano gave it all back. They, they lost that game at least twice. They lost yeah, the it Trump, when the Trump, they lost it when he couldn't hold the freaking seven nothing lead or whatever it was. Yeah, only was and, that big, but yeah, yeah, it was four nothing. But it was the Cubs jumped out, but then he gave up a bunch of homers. Then they lost it again when uh, so Sammy hits the most dramatic home run of our lifetime till that point. Correct. Um, Incredible. There's the great. Maybe I'll put the YouTube thing. I've and we've all watched it a million times. But there's yeah. for all the shit I love to give Steve Stone, and he's he's kind of a prick. He it's is, not that he doesn't always, know his stuff, and he at least he's been a good analyst. So, Ugether Bina throws Sammy a slider, and Stone says, "Sammy's having a hard time catching up the fastball. I don't know why you throw him a slider. He throws him another one that Sammy hits, you know, eight hundred feet out onto uh, out into the street, and Pat Hughes goes nuts and has a great call. And yep, yep, yep. Place was then. So now we're going to extra innings, and Dusty decides he. He's so afraid that the uh, Marlins are going to pinch hit 
Lenny Harris. That he who had bring, been a cop earlier that year. Yes, and th- who Jim Hendry had to literally release because Dusty kept, Dusty kept starting him. At third base. Yes. Right. At third base. So he brings in Mark Guthrie, who then, and so that allows Jack McKeon to send up some guy named Mike Lowell. Mike Lowell, yeah. He, like, he only hit one in the basket, but it still went out. Yeah. But he's also a million times better hitter at the time than Lenny. Correct. Harris. Correct. Okay, so enough of that. Uh, 2007 against. So. The, that's Zambrano, the Diamondbacks. Zambrano against uh, Webb, Brandon Webb, uh, made famous because um, the Cubs really only had three starters, yeah. and so Pinella tried to get cute and get Zambrano out of there early uh, so he could maybe start game four and three days rest, and then Marmol gave up the go-ahead homer to Mark Reynolds. Yeah, which was it was completely defensible at the time. Sure. Because nobody hit Carlos Marmol that year, and then really Correct. nobody hit him at all the next year. Um, Correct. The problem yeah. was that in order for that to work, and you were going to have to use him anyway, Dempster was going to have to <laughs> was going to have to get the save at the end. Next, which brings us to 2008. Uh, Dempster, of course, yes. spotted with a two-run lead, then loads the bases on three walks before the grand slam to Loney. And I couldn't even tell you who the it was. It Chad Billingsley, uh, who whatever. But yeah, Dempster in 08. He walked seven guys. I'll never For let him forget sake. it. Ever. Why does this that guy? Why does he think he can show his face around? He did that, and he also gave up the. He also walked two guys that were out of the league a year afterwards in 2004 before uh, uh, you know, Latroy Hawkins came in to serve up the. Yeah, that was even worse. That was. It was worse. They were headed the, towards the playoffs that year. That's the Dempster, Vic, That's the Victor Diaz game. Correct, and everyone jumps on Hawkins, which he's not immune from criticism, but Dempster, all he had to do was throw the damn ball over the plate. It, Eric so, Vallette, I still remember, Eric Vallette and J.R. Phillips, yeah. two guys that were out of the league a year later, and he walks those guys with a three-run lead. And, and Dusty De- went to Dempster because he had a three-run lead, and Latroy had pitched like, I, 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 I should remember because I've looked it up enough, he pitched like six of the last seven days. I mean, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous how much Latroy had pitched, well, and Dusty I, did not want to have to go to him, and then he did, and Latroy had nothing. I think there was also the thought, too, that Dempster might be able to take that closer's role. So there was his fucking audition. And well, that, yeah, that could have been part of it. Not because Latroy didn't want to be the closer, wasn't good at being the closer, and is, yeah. was an excellent setup man. There was some Correct. weird mental thing about so, getting the last three outs. Yeah. So in, in two separate seasons, Ryan Dempster managed to pitch the Cubs out of the playoffs, and yet he shamelessly yeah. he shows his fucking face all over Chicago media like we just forget it. And a lot of people do because he's goofy and he's white, and so he gets a pass. He's Meanwhile, also- Troy Hawkins can't, you know, come within a country mile of the city. So Okay, so now we're getting to the most recent pass. And then you figure this is going to be easy, and you're probably going to blow through, but I'll tell you where I got um all right. Where I well, got J- lost. Jake against Cole yep. in, in 15. The next round um, – when they uh, beat St. Louis, uh, game one was Lester. I don't know. It might have been Lackey that he pitched against. Uh, and then the the Mets series would have been Lester again in game one because yes. things just lined up that way. Don't know who he pitched against, though. And then the following season against the Giants, again, it was Lester in game one because he actually had a really good year. Arietta was their third best pitcher that year. Um, I'm right, right? It was Lester against the Giants in it game one? It was Lester one? against the Giants. And then and this and the is the Do- one I get. This is the one I got wrong. Well, the Dodgers, it was Lester again. Yeah, and that, I just couldn't, for whatever reason, I'm doing the games in my head, and I uh-huh. it doesn't make any sense because it was so obvious. Because, um, 
You thought it was Hendricks. I did. He pitched the, the pennant clincher. You know, things fell so right for that rotation that year. And as much as I can't stand John Lacken, he did nothing in those playoffs. The fact that they were able to at least put him out there every fourth start while at the same time, uh, you know, the uh, the Giants were scrambling with their bullpen. The Dodgers were pitching Kershaw on three days rest. The, the Indians went to Kluber on three days rest and everybody else where the Cubs eventually, they didn't run out of time, but the Cubs were able to start all of their pitchers on regular rest that entire postseason. So Lester started game one of all three series. That's right. Now, and the next, the, the next year, though, Hendricks did start game one against the, the Nationals. He did. And then who and started then, game one against the Dodgers? This is a good one. Ah, okay. So, uh, you know, against this is the, the one the fans at home might get wrong. In, in the round one, it was Lester. Uh, it was Hendricks and Lester who, where Edwards blew the game. Arietta pitched game or Quintana game three. Uh, no, uh, Arietta game three, I think. Quintana game four and Hendricks game five. They won the series. So against, um, against the Dodgers, I'm going to, since Hendricks pitched, uh, the final game uh, started the final game, even though Lester came in relief. I'm, I got to go with Lester in game one against uh, uh, against the Dodgers in 17. It was Jose Quintana. Oh, so I didn't get them all. Yeah. Damn it. And that's Good weird. Question. The reason that it doesn't seem like it is because he pitched in relief in game five in Washington, but he only pitched two one batter, I think. Or two. And Lester actually... Lester had pitched a, a lot in Game 4, okay. and, be- and Game 4 had been pushed back a day because of that's the right. rain out. And that's what that's screwed it up. Ah, that's right. That's um, right. It's why Joe was like, fuck it, we might as well use uh, Johnny here to try to wrap it up, because um, we know we're going um, Hendricks the next game if if we lose. Otherwise, we'd yep. get Hendricks set up, and John, by the, that John will be able to, you know, anyway... Okay. So it's it's also most famous, and I'm probably the only person that remembers this. The um, so Jose's wife was on the plane from Washington to. She passed out or something. She, yeah, right? she either had a panic attack or something, and they literally had to go to Albuquerque. They had to make a left to Albuquerque. You Bugs Bunny Mel style. <laughs> and they didn't get in until like dawn, and which you know for well no I think they normally would have got in at dawn. They got in even later than that because of that. And then uh, Jose had to start game one. Of course, that series, the thing everybody remembers, and I remember this wrong. Yeah, I always think that it was that game. At game one, he gave up the home run to turn. No, it was game two when they should have won, and they could have made a series out of it. Yep, yep, yep. But it's probably yeah. it should be more famous for uh, Carl Edwards Jr. walking you Darvish with the bases loaded. Well, and he almost got out of that jam. You remember, man? He came in, yeah. and that was that was the, that was a frustrating game. He uh, he got the, the the shallow pop out to Hayward and the, with the bases loaded with one out. Like, oh my God, they're, they're not sending the runner. All you gotta do is get Darvish out. Um, that was sort of the beginning of the end, and uh, the the the, the follow up to that was that following year against the Brewers when he shit the tub in that game where yep. kind of jump started the Brewers. Which I like to think when Hayward hit that homer against the Brewers, that kind of maybe exercised uh, that ghost. We'll see. Okay, so there's one more. Who started yep. the wild card game? That was Lester again. That was Lester again. So yeah. From the from the most modern era, fifteen on it goes: Arietta, Lester, 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 Hendricks, Quintana, yeah. Lester, and it would go if not for a rainout. Lester, 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 Hendricks, Lester. Lester. Wow. So, Although 
before the before the wild card game era, uh, Hendricks had one more career postseason start than either Arietta or Lester. It's just <laughs> how it worked out. But but I want to say that uh, Hendricks and Lester both have ten, which which is kind of funny um, about how all of like the, the Cubs basically shattered all of their postseason records before the 2016 World Series even came around. Well, when you take you know 50 years off in the middle, <laughs> right? Things tend I mean, to do that. You can count on two hands the number of Cubs that played in multiple seasons of postseason play uh, before 2015. There aren't even ten. I'm pretty sure. So the like, the, I saw a stat today. That's not really a stat. It's just a fact. It's not a stat. It's a fact. I guess uh, White Sox won I, I, their first playoff game today since 2008. Yep. And just quick top yeah. of my mind math: the Cubs played 36 playoff games in between White Sox playoff games. I counted 42, but 42. okay. Well. I guess if you if you erase 2008 entirely, right? Because the Cubs were actually eliminated before the Sox. Oh they got shit! Swept. You're right. I did not. Yeah, and they're right. And the Sox won. The Sox game. win game one or two. There's a four, uh, or game, two. Or maybe game three. You know, like. And I think that, that series started. Before, it, I know that the because I, I remember the Dempster game. I was in Champaign because I was at a conference, but we didn't have anything to do that night, so I wasn't going to miss any of the games. I was um, the Sox run during the day. Okay. So you could even get technical, and I think so. Maybe the yeah, right. So maybe that whole series got played after the last Sox win. No, but you're right though. I think it's 38 since 2008. The Cubs have played in 38. Yeah, we could do this all day with the Sox because I I think I mentioned that the only team that's been in this uh, played fewer playoff games prior to this year than the Sox. I'm pretty sure is the Seattle Mariners. Like even expansion newbies like the Diamondbacks and. Uh, and the Devil Rays or the Rays have played more playoff games in our well, life. I would guess just because the play, hopefully the playoffs aren't going to be this big going forward, but they're going to be bigger than we're used to. They'll finally make the playoffs in consecutive years. One of these years. <laughs> I mean, nice just we, think about yeah. it. growing up. How much shit did we take from Sox fans about how how pathetic the Cubs were? And any objective look at the two franchises was. Guys, you can't use the excuse forever. Well, we played in the same league as the Yankees, so that's why we didn't go to the World Series more often. It's like you guys mm. really—you guys had really long stretches where you were just fucking terrible. From just 1990- like the Cubs did. So shut yeah. up. Right from 1919 to 49, they were as bad as the freaking Cleveland or the St. Louis Browns. And then yeah, again from 60 to eight, I mean, you know, they don't really look. They, they, look, of all the 16 original MLB franchises, they've won the fewest pennants they've been to five world series hmm. that's the fewest so if you go up and down all 16 teams there's, there's no team more pathetic so that's a you know keep that in mind Sox fans they also have you can't have a more boring nickname white socks they're right. white socks <laughs> Woo! you can put an x on it all you want but that's only because it was to make it fit into the headlines better it's yep you got you got nothing but that's fine all right so uh well that was fun yeah the only other note about that uh the 2018 wildcard game was that uh lester hamels and hendricks all pitched in it hendricks took a it was the hard luck loser it was he got uh he got the meant, first two outs and just gave up three singles which meant had they won and then gone to milwaukee uh it would have been jake in game one and then what the hell do we have for game two? Because no, not even Jake, right? In 2018, Jake was gone, right? 
because he walked off the mound when he was the only one to beat the Dodgers the year before at Wrigley Field. When they were down 3 nothing. He, he Jake staved off elimination for one more day. Um, well, so I don't know. I thought, after twenty, didn't no, he after trade Jake for you, basically? <laughs> that's kind of, well, that's it. I mean, they, with Darvish here, right? He wasn't even – so they wouldn't have done anything in 2018. So oh, that's, that's right. You're point. right. You're right. Because you, so, you was hurt. So maybe what they would have done that's in 2018 – Shit, I don't know got, who would have pitched. I was sitting here thinking, had, well, at least Jake was I, – I, th- I think they would have brought Mark Clark out of retirement. <laughs> to pitch in 2018. Yeah, 20 years later. Same thing. Burned out all your starters. Maybe Dwayne Underwood would have come up. <sighs> Undercock. All right. Well, uh, uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was good. Looking had almost to... nothing prepared, and uh, it turned out fun. Right. So. That's kind of how we do it, man. Just shoot from the hip. Looking forward to a little Buccaneers talk. All right? we'll, we'll get a Leroy Selman reference in there next week. And the Bears might be 4-0. Holy shit. Yeah. They could... They seem – it's funny. The uh, offensive uh, coaches, the ones that talked today, um, can barely hide their glee at actually be able to call some of the plays that they want to call. <laughs> wow. They're kind of like, all right, well, Mitch can't really run that, so we can't do that. Basically, wow. it sounded like they got to use the uh, – they actually got to use both sides of the play sheet when they put full. <laughs> One side Poor is Mitch. here are the eight plays Mitch can run. Here's the rest of the offense over here. Poor Mitch. Poor Mitch. We know damn well Mitch is still going to – Mitch has not started his last game for the Bears. No. Quarterbacks don't make it unscathed through seasons, and Nick Foles never has. So at some point we're going to be like, oh, God, Mitch is back again. But We'll see. All right. Well, we'll catch up next week then. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. All right. Thanks, Mike. Go Bears. Go Bears. Many of us have herpes. 